The sermon text is taken from Matthew, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 23 through 33. Matthew 22, beginning at verse 23, which in our Pew Bibles is page 1,336. Matthew 23, 30, 22, 30, 23 through 33. I'll get it. Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Here is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, our Father, it's so easy to forget the most important things in your word, like the resurrection of our Savior and our own resurrection from the dead. Sometimes we get stuck on little theories that we make up in our own minds. So we pray, our Father, that we would know your power and know your scriptures, that we would not listen to the voice within us, but that we would listen to your voice, O Lord, as you speak clearly to us. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you need to remember the historical context of when this was written. This was written after, or at least the events that it describes, are events that happened after Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. After the people cried out, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. After they threw down their coats and the, and the branches. And, and after Jesus mounted on a, a donkey, the foal of a donkey, came into the city of Jerusalem. It's just days before he goes to the cross. The point being that he's preparing his disciples and preparing us how to live in the world after he has died on the cross. And, and the resurrection is an essential event to all of that, yes, his resurrection, but also our resurrection. You're going to say to, say to me, well, the Pharisees weren't thinking about that. Uh, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't understand. There had been multiple attempts to murder Jesus in Nazareth and in Jerusalem, but didn't make any difference. God knew what was happening, and he arranged for, for the Sadducees to ask this question. Uh, notice that the first thing they do is not ask a question about the resurrection. They didn't say, well, what about the resurrection? Because they think they're clever. Uh, watch out for clever people. Uh, watch out for, are you looking? 
Watch out for clever people because they're dangerous. I'm serious. They, they want. Okay, I'll use the example I use all the time when I talk with the with the Watchtower people. I say, "How many true gods are?" They say one, and I say, "Is Jesus God?" They say, "Yes," but he's not the all-powerful God. And I say, "Is it true God?" And then, and that's the end of the discussion because then they start arguing with. And I know what I'm doing. I'm being clever, but I'm not just being clever. I am being faithful to the Word of God and. And, and they're not, and because they're not, they're caught in a trap, and it's, it's almost gotten to the point where I, I feel sorry for them when they start to argue with each other. But, but the Sadducees, they didn't care about the truth. They, they wanted to, to make a logical deduction that would deny the resurrection from the dead. They were taking a very minor point. I mean, I, I'm sure when you read from Deuteronomy 25 about leveret marriage, you said, hmm, that's kind of strange. And, 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 you, and you said to yourself, why, why are we reading that? And then we got to the passage, and you said, okay, well, I get why we're reading that, but it's still a little bit. But it was strange back then. It was like, uh, and, and especially the example that they use, it, they're trying to use logic in order to confound the Scriptures. Now, it's okay to make deductions from, from the Scriptures. Uh, the passage about leveret marriage in Deuteronomy 25, follows a verse which applies to pastors. You shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. You all know what an ox is? And pastors are compared to oxen? Uh, I'm not sure I really like that verse. But, but you know, it, it's, I mean, it, the, the deduction that is made is logical. You, if someone is working hard, you need to feed them. If an ox, even an animal, works hard to feed the animal, if a pastor, and this application is used twice in the New Testament, then even an, even an animal is, even a pastor is to be fed sometimes, you know. But that's a logical deduction. A, a, a false deduction is found in Mark chapter 7. And, and here Jesus is speaking to this same group of people. In Mark 7 verses 8 and following, Jesus says, For laying aside the commandment of God, and, and that's the problem with deductions. Sometimes there's a direct commandment that God gives. God says, this is this. And you say, yeah, but what about, what about... And that's really what the Pharisees or the Sadducees are doing here. In Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 8, he says, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the, to the tradition of men. I was talking with an Egyptian Christian in the United States, and, and I told him that we need to tell people about Jesus. And he said, oh, we don't do that in Egypt because you'll get killed. And, and I understood that it was their tradition not to talk to the Muslims about Jesus because they would die. And I understand that. And with all due respect, they're wrong. That was a tradition that had developed in the Coptic Church of Egypt not to tell the Muslims about Jesus. And it was a wrong and it is a wrong tradition. And Jesus gives here in Mark chapter 7 examples. You hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. We need to be careful about that. You know, if Jesus comes and says, why aren't you kneeling when you pray? I'm not going to argue with him. <laughs> I'm not going to say, oh, uh, you know, that's a Catholic tradition. No. I, 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 and when I go to churches where people kneel, I kneel. That's, that's what they do, because my point is not to, to force my tradition upon someone else, 
My point is to, to pray to God. He says, for Moses said, and here Jesus, again in Mark 7, gives his example, honor your father and your mother. That can be a very clear declaration. Honor your father and your mother. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. You understand what they're doing. They're saying, oh, everything I have belongs to God, so I can't help you, mom and dad. You know, and mom and dad say, but we're hungry. Oh, I'd love to help you, mom and dad, but... It's all God's stuff, and i got to keep it for him, and I can't give you anything. But you also notice that even in this example, Jesus is actually using a logical deduction, i.e., that is, the command to honor your father and your mother doesn't actually say to care for them. But it's clear that that's one of the things that it means. Your mom and dad get old. You don't just dump them by the side of the road. You care for them. But he's using a consistent and accurate deduction, which Korban is not. You can make deductions. Uh, when Jesus told his disciples, asked his disciples, do you have any swords? And they said, we have two. And Jesus says, that's enough. There's a clear implication that is legitimate for Christians under certain circumstances and at certain times to defend themselves with swords. And yes, I have Mennonite friends and I greatly respect them. But they're wrong on this point. At least at some occasions, it's legitimate for Christians to use violence to defend themselves or their families. And this misinterpretation is not a light thing. Again, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus here is quoting from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 29, verse 13. And he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We have to be careful to listen to what God says and not to what men says. And when I say what men say, that means especially pastors. If you're listening to your pastor, whether his name is Elijah or Steve, and not listening to the word of God, you're a hypocrite. You're honoring God with your lips, but your heart is far from God. If I preach something contrary to the word of God, you are bound by the word of God to not listen to me. So then we use the example of leveret marriage given in Deuteronomy 25. And you understand the example. A woman marries a man. He dies without children. The law of God said that his single brother, a brother who lived in the same community, who was unmarried, was to marry his dead brother's widow. And the first child was to be considered his dead brother's child, and then the second or third or whatever would be considered the new husband's children. So this happened seven times. Uh, you know, after the third or fourth brother, I think if I were number five or six or seven, and, and the widow kept having husbands that died, I think I might have said, Hmm, I think I'll move leave town. <laughs> Jerusalem's a nice city. It's far, but they didn't. And they present this as if it's a real example. It's not presented by them as if a par as if it's a parable. They present it as if it's an actual historical event. It is logical because they ask the question: 
whose wife will she be of the seven? This woman was married to seven men and then she died. None of them had children. So is it going to be the first? Is it going to be the last? One of the ones in between? You need to think about this. And dear brothers and sisters, I've seen the bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Yes, God said it, I believe it, but that doesn't settle it. Because you need to think about what God said. The Sadducees thought about what God said. They just came to the wrong logical conclusion. The first thing they did, the first mistake they made was they assumed that there's marriage in heaven. And that's a big mistake. And Jesus will go on to correct that mistake. They also assumed that God didn't have a solution. My favorite example of something like this is Mary in in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, where she's told that she is going to have a child. Oh, but she's not going to know a man. And, and, and she says in Luke 1, 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? Mary's thinking logically. It all makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to her. She's going to have a baby who's going to be the son of the Most High, but she has not known a man. And, and, and the angel explains that the Holy Spirit will come upon her. And the child that will be born of her will be born as the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. And I love Mary's reaction right after she hears that. She doesn't sit there and go, but, 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 which is how I would have reacted. Instead, Mary says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Sometimes there's things in God's word we don't always understand. And we should try to understand them, yes, but... But sometimes God says, this is what you got to do. I mean, love your enemies. If, feed those who are hungry. Give, give water to those who are thirsty. Instead of taking vengeance. That doesn't seem to make sense. And, and, and yet, God tells us to do that. And we have to do that. We have to love, not only love our enemies, we have to pray for them. I mean, come on, we have to pray for our enemies? I mean, pray for our friends, pray for strangers, but pray for our enemies? Yes. So Jesus' response to all of this is in verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. First of all, the power of God. God doesn't have to do the things the way we think he has to do them. In verse 30, Jesus says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And and, and that settles it. And there's really no more argument. But, But Jesus goes on to explain that they really don't understand how God has spoken to us already and already solved the problem if they would just pay attention. In verses 31 and 32 he says, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Jesus, after quoting this passage where God spoke to Moses, says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, God says, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. If If Abraham were dead, God would have said, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. And I was the God of Jacob. But he doesn't say that. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. 
and I am the God who is the God of the living. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In in Matthew chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, Jesus is remarking about the, the faith of the centurion. And he says, Assuredly, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about that. When you get to heaven, guess what you get to do? I, 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 you know, Isaac is okay. Jacob's fine. I want to sit down with Abraham. <laughs> and I'm going to ask him, so how much did you know about God when you left there and went, you know, left the land of your fathers? And why'd you do that? And then he's going to tell me about his faith. And, and dear brothers and sisters, this teaching in response to the Sadducees is throughout the scriptures. And yet even in the New Testament, there were those going around teaching that the dead would not rise. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 and following, we read, If the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. You see, what the Apostle is saying is that the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection are inseparable. If the dead don't rise, then Jesus didn't rise. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You're still in your sins. Because Christ has not taken away your sins if he did not rise from the dead. Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And that's the way the Pharisees were. They thought, oh, the Christian or the, the faith that we have in God, it's until we die and then it's over with. And the apostle said, that's a miserable kind of faith. And so he responds in 1 Corinthians 15 by saying, but now... Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He uses Old Testament language. In the Old Testament, you would bring the first fruits to the Lord as a symbol that everything belonged to Him. And Christ is the first fruits of those who are risen from the dead. And, 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 and the fruits that follow are us, those who trust in Him. And he says in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 15, Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now we still don't know the details. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle John says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he, that is Jesus, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And and. and and, and we don't know all the details. And uh, returning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the end of the chapter, in verse 51, he says, Beloved, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Think of what he's saying. He's saying we who have these bodies that are corruptible, that, that die, we will put on immortality. And so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin 
is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, this is what the Sadducees didn't understand. They neither understood the scriptures nor the power of God. And so the apostle responds to them in verse 57 of 1 Corinthians 15 by saying, Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are victorious in Christ Jesus because he has defeated not only sin, but death itself. We who are in him will rise with him just as surely as he rose from the dead. And so the last thing that the apostle says there in that chapter 15 is, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable. You know, we're steadfast and unmovable because we know what the future holds for us. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. Those Sadducees were looking forward to nothing more than being food for worms. We are looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. Our resurrection and the day that Jesus will come when, when we rise from the dead. And, and, and we know that this will happen because Christ Jesus has risen from the dead. We are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The things that you are doing are seen by the Lord even today because he knows what is happening in your life. And, and, and he is keeping you safe until that day. As Christ rose from the dead, we, sh we too shall rise. Because he says, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that the Pharisees were wrong. Oh, so wrong. When they denied the resurrection of the dead. We thank you that Jesus proved them wrong through his resurrection, through his rising from the dead. And we look forward to that day, O oh Lord, when we too shall, shall leave this earth and go to be with our Savior forever. Whether it be when we are still alive and the Lord calls us into the air, or after we have died and Christ raises us from the dead. But even so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come quickly that we might be with you forever. And so we pray this now in your holy name. Amen.